60-day terms. And when I was speaking to our inventory manager, I told them, I was like, they're going to say 30, but like, tell them 60. Tell them we need 60 because this is our first time purchasing. We don't know our customers yet. We don't know how quickly things are going to sell and we don't have a lot of money, but don't tell them that. I was like, but just tell them 60 <laughs> and, and that we can't budge on it. And he's like, well, I'll let you know, but I don't think this is going to work out. And I was like, all right, let me know. He's like, they said it works. I was like, we should ask for 90. <laughs> From the Pod Connect Studios, high in the Rockies at the beautiful Beaver Creek Resort, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on MJ Bulls, we are joined by Nikki John, the founder and CEO of the Heritage Club. Nikki, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am excited to speak with you. After listening to your Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast, I knew the listeners of this show would really benefit from hearing about your journey, specifically how you were able to open a dispensary in Boston, no less, without taking on a bunch of debt, without selling a bunch of equity. This is the story that people need to hear because especially in this environment and uh, who better to tell it than somebody that actually lived it and grinded and worked hard to get to this point. So I want to just really start off right from the beginning. The licensing process is so expensive. I mean, between consultants and lawyers and and, and sometimes you got to rent space before you even get the, the license. All this happens and people need millions, sometimes millions of dollars to get to, to even to get to apply for a license. Let's start right at the beginning. How were you able to get through that process? Yeah, so that was a long journey of trying to partner with some people where it didn't work out. And when it didn't work out, you'd think to yourself, okay, maybe I'm not supposed to be in this space. Maybe this isn't for me. But I was able to take those kind of deals that fell through when you think you have the money secured or whatever and realize that you could get a better deal. And not only that, but that you have to keep the ball rolling no matter what. Don't let it stop. So for me, it was finding a location, but still keeping a lot. I used a lot of my real estate contacts because I come from a background of real estate, keeping all of these different leads kind of warm, letting people know what I'm doing. And because it's cannabis, you kind of have to decide who you want to let know that you're getting into this. Um, Yeah, right. But you kind of keep all of these irons in the fire and hope that either maybe you can get people to join together if they just want to do smaller amounts or then on the larger side, when you have someone who's like, I want to take this entire deal and I want 49% of your company, you have to say, do I want to work for this person or why am I getting into this? Because at 51%, you're backed against the wall. You, you don't have a lot of say, you don't have a lot of room to pivot. So that's not where I wanted to end up, but there were a few times where I had to say to myself, should we take this? Like, is this the best we're going to get? And it, and it never was. And I hope people can take that away is that negotiate, push back a little bit and, and have that number in mind where you're willing to say no, say this is like the line I can't cross. Yeah, I think that's awesome advice. I remember listening to one of your interviews where you said that you even worked an arrangement out with your landlord. And which is most people don't think about that, but landlords are are willing to negotiate just like anybody else. And sometimes we just take the lease and say, well, that's it. And then we move on. But maybe tell, explain to what you did with your landlord. Yeah. So fortunately, I had a landlord who was willing to work with me on this and who understood the potential gains on both of our ends, that it wasn't just 
saying like, hey, I can't pay because I don't want to pay my rent. It was, I'm fundraising, but this process is set up in a way where I need to have an LOI or a lease in place before I can even get to the starting line of, of actually even fundraising. And, and a lot of the people investing don't want to invest until you have a license. So it's the chicken and the egg back and forth over and over again, whether that's with the investors, the landlord, the state, the investor wants proof of funds before your LOI. The investors want proof of license before investment. The state wants an LOI in place and you can't, you need to pay. And then they want you to hold that lease for the two years that it took me to get open. So my landlord is willing to, yeah, work with me over the course of that two years so that I wasn't spending any money in the beginning until we got to the starting line. And if they hadn't have done that, odds are I would have found a way. So I don't want to say I wouldn't be here, but the odds are I would have been here a little bit later. So that was key. (laughs) And I think that's the important thing is just asking. If you don't ask, you, you wouldn't know the answer if you don't ask them. And your other important thing is your persistence. Is it, I am going to do this. Nothing's going to stop me. Every time I see a roadblock, I'm going to work my way around it. Let's jump forward. And now that you have the license, you rewarded the license, you got to build, find, get the space built out, all of that, that takes a lot of money. So yes. how did you, how were you able to finance that? Yep. So the first step in, you have to get in Boston permits, architectural plans. The first step in Boston is to submit a plan that you're never going to use. So you need to pay someone <laughs> to do that. And there's these like, and then they're going to reject you. And then you submit your real plans. So, and then as you like during projects, plans change. So you need to play, you need to pay for any changes to your plans and all of that. So when I was getting quotes for what this entire project would cost, everyone's like, you need 2.5. Like you're not going to get this open without 2.5. And I was like talking to people and I could get people to that one. I could get them to 1.5 and the people who I could get to say, I want to take the 2.5 to myself. They wanted that 49%. So I was like, well, we can't do 2.5. <laughs> I just know there has yeah. to be another way. That was the only thing that came to mind for me. And I come from a family of people who have worked in construction. And the if you can do it yourself, do it yourself. Caroline of Caroline's Cannabis in Massachusetts, that was one piece of advice she gave me when I first met her. She said, everything you can do yourself, do yourself, whether that's tiling or whatever. And I'm telling you, I was hands and knees, my hands and knees in the store doing everything I can blood, sweat, and tears into this place and my family, friends, everybody involved. So that was just one way to kind of save on labor. Labor is super expensive, but in COVID, there's materials back orders. There's all of the different delays that can come in on your project, which is why you have these overruns. And to manage all of that, we, we placed all of our orders ourselves. I ended up opening my own construction company because my lease required $5 million of coverage. And a lot of smaller contractors don't have $5 million policies. They have like $1 or $2 million policies. So by starting my own construction company and having them contract under me, I was able to, one, give them better coverage, meet the requirements of my lease, and actually save some money because I was able to source better product, all of these things that I couldn't have done with a bigger company. And I learned a lot about the construction side of this business and, and, and how to make a place come to life. We were in a, what used to be a glass tinting and auto building. And so how to make something like that into something beautiful, something exciting. So that was really cool. And we ended up doing it at probably way less than half, a little oh less God. than half a million. Let's just move it, keep moving along forward in the process. Now the place is open but you still have to pay staff. You still have to buy inventory and market this. And that doesn't come cheap because you haven't made penny one yet until you get the inventory. And how do you do, how do you make that work? 
Yeah, so this was super important, and I really, anybody listening who's out there trying to get started, I decided to work with vendors who would give us 60-day terms. And when I was speaking to our inventory manager, I told them, I was like, they're going to say 30, but like, tell them 60. Tell them we need 60 because this is our first time purchasing. We don't know our customers yet. We don't know how quickly things are going to sell and we don't have a lot of money, but don't tell them that. I was like, but just tell them 60 (laughs) and and that we can't budge on it. And he's like, well, I'll let you know, but I don't think this is going to work out. And I was like, all right, let me know. He's like, they said it works. I was like, we should ask for 90. (laughs) But every single vendor we brought in in the first two months gave us 60-day terms. And that was so Mm -hmm. important for us to figure out what to reorder. Right now, we're selling through some things that we had bought in those first two months just now, six months later. So if you mess up in the beginning, you don't leave yourself any room for error. That's not a good space to be in. If you want to do, sometimes you can get loans for purchasing product but that can charge 8%. Well, there goes some of your margins. So if you're keystoning, which means 50% margin on your product, 8% eating into that, you can't afford that in this market. If you have 21% corporate tax to the federal government, you have all these other fees in terms of overhead, SG&A. Well, you look at what you're taking home and you look at what the government's taking home and you're like, dang. (laughs) (laughs) Not easy. It's not easy. But that's, 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 uh, surprisingly, m- most businesses, is, if as long as they trust you and as long as you follow your word, if you say 60 days and you get it to them 59 or 58 days, they're going to do this forever with you. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate that. They're just like, oh, they got to cut a deal. And I think on the flip side, at least in my mind, if somebody were were taking a trust in me to give me the extra time, then they're, I'm going to be loyal to them. I'm not going to jump ship for a, better, a brighter price because they were there in the beginning with me. And I, I, I think that's a really important point that I think especially new business owners need to keep in mind is that there's a, a lot to be said for loyalty and working with vendors for a long period of time. And they're there for you when you need them. And then you're there for them when they need you sometimes. And I think we're seeing that now as some of these people who helped us in the beginning are seeing their flower prices drop. And maybe the testing isn't at 30%. People are really looking in Massachusetts right now for 30% tack. And I have people who are trying to sell 20 to 23% flour, which will end up sitting for about a month on the shelves. There's The 30% stuff will sell through in a week or two. So you, I want to make sure that they stay open because they help me stay open. So like you said, yep, it's, yep, it's, yep. That, it's a small community. Everything in Massachusetts that's for sale on this adult use market was grown in Massachusetts by Massachusetts operators and we're in this together. So there is that loyalty and just everybody's in the grind together, but it's been a lot of fun <laughs> learning about that and figuring out how to, how to make it work and float it and, and push those margins. How do you get better margins? How do you buy more when you're a small shop? So that's been my main question that I'm thinking about this year. Well, I'm sure you'll figure that one out. And I don't, we're, we're wrapping it up here, but before we wrap it up, I just wanted, because most of our listeners are investors, I'm sure a bunch of them are saying, wow, I wish I would have got in on that. This is a dynamic person that is going to grow like crazy. Do you ever get calls from people saying, now can I invest? Or if yes. you do get those calls, what do you say to them? Or is there ever going to be a chance where they can invest? Yes. So we are looking to expand. We have two more locations that we're looking to take on and also okay. add delivery. So we will be raising funds and we'll we'll definitely do an announcement somewhere on our website. So if you sign up for our mailing list, that's a good way to stay in touch. But yeah, people are always reaching out now saying like, well, you did it. 
can I get in now? And I guess, and you have to do that. That was just my first proof of concept. Like you said, the goal is not to stop here. No, no, no. And, and we'll just for our listeners, we'll make sure that we have all the contact information links in the show notes. So just click the links in the show notes. I'm sure somebody from, from Nikki's team or Nikki will get right back to you and, 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 and get on their mailing list. Uh, Nikki, I really appreciate this. I'm so proud of you. I think this is what every, every entrepreneur needs to hear this story because persistence, don't let anything stop you. You're going to make this happen no matter what. And I love, and we didn't get a chance to talk about your mom, but I know in the last interview, how much you depended on your mom. And I'm, I'm sure she's so proud, but thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing our story. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.